0: audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I want to welcome you again uh, and welcome you to our Summer in the Psalms. What a beautiful psalm, a hope-filled psalm that we R-N. It makes me grateful that I get to be a gospel preacher with psalms like this. I uh, cannot wait. Uh, listen, if you are here and you didn't bring a Bible, I want to invite you to grab one of ours. There should be one right around you, uh, either a black or a blue one should be right around you. I invite you to grab that. And if you're here and you don't own a Bible, you're here and you, just, you don't own a copy of God's Word, I I want to just invite you to take that. It would be our honor, our privilege to just give you that. So just find one around you, grab it, and you now have one. So just take it home with you. Uh, We've been able to give away cases of Bibles since we started, and we love it. So please grab it if you don't have one. Um, Like I said, Psalm 121 is an amazing psalm. And as we open it up, I want to start with a very basic statement, a very basic foundation, and it really matters for us as we build this morning. Here it is We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is not perfect. Our communities, our nation, our world, our homes, Let's just be honest, ourselves, we are broken, we are sinners. Perfect heaven is not here yet. Perfection is not here yet. It's coming one day. We stand on that hope. We know we believe in that hope, but it's not here yet. And as basic as that sounds, it is absolutely important we understand this, especially as we think about the gospel. Unfortunately, I have heard far too many gospel presentations that sound something like this. Come to Jesus, give your life to Jesus. Your life is going to change. It's going to be awesome. Things are going to be good. You're going to live in blessing from day to day. You're going to walk in just perpetual blessing of God. Good things are going to happen to your life. Come to Jesus. You're going to experience better health, because God loves you. You are going to experience career success, because God loves you. You are going to have money and prosperity, because obviously God loves you. See, pain, struggle, sickness, those are a thing of the former life come to Jesus, and those give way to health and to wealth and to prosperity because God loves you. Now, if you're kind of going, eh, when I say that, it's good. Because I want to be very clear, that's not a biblical understanding of what following Jesus looks like. It's, it's not a true depiction of the Christian life. It's certainly not the reality of the apostles certainly is not the reality of the early followers of Christ. And I say this boldly because as as a pastor, I'm burdened by this. Because I have seen too many who have believed this false gospel who grow very discouraged in life because what they see, their reality, their life, is not matching up to what they thought. And there is a... There's a brokenness that comes with that, and it's heartbreaking. The call of the gospel is not come to Jesus and get wealth, prosperity, and health. The call of the gospel is not come to Jesus and get Jesus' stuff. The call of the gospel is to come to Jesus and get Jesus. To get him today, to get him tomorrow, to get Christ forever, and to know that The better things are yet and still to come. That's the call of the gospel. It is so much better than the fake prosperity gospel that is out there. Because it never ends. The call of the gospel is that there is a hope that is still to come. That the brokenness of our current condition will not be our eternal condition. That is the hope. In other words, the gospel does not say, come to Jesus and you're never going to have trouble again. The gospel says, come to Jesus, you're going to be kept through life's troubles. John, Jesus says in John 16, I say these things to you that you're going to have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, I start here as foundational as that may seem. I start here because the psalm we're going to dig into is all about this. It's all about this. It's all about what we do in times of struggle and trial, what we do in those times when we need help. And if you're here and you're thinking, well, Christians should never go through times like that, then this psalm is going to make no sense to you. And so it's really important that we come to grasp of the simple reality that, that both sinners and saints experience a broken world. Both sinners and saints go through struggles and trials. The fundamental difference between Christians and non-Christians is not whether or not we face trials. The fundamental difference is how we face trials. We're gonna talk about the real world this morning that you and I face and how to live in that in light of the gospel of Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at two things. We're going to kind of divide our psalm into two parts right down the middle, verses 1 through 4, 5 through 8. The first part we're going to look at our hope in Christ and the second part we're going to look at or I had that backwards. Our help in Christ and then the second part is our hope in Christ. So as we dive in together, I just want to ask you to join me and let's come to our Lord in prayer. Would you do that with me? Lord, this morning I pray for two things as we approach your word. First, Lord, I pray specifically for us. Would you give us the ears to hear? Would you apply your word to our hearts and would you change us? We don't need another motivational speech this morning. We don't need to hear biblical truths listed out for us this morning. What we need, Lord, is you and through your spirit, applying your word to our hearts and to our lives that we are changed. And we pray that you would do that. Second, Lord, I pray for specifically for me as I preach. I need you and I need, I need your help. I pray that I'm not in the way. Would you speak through me this morning? Would you speak through your word this morning? Spirit, would you preach a better sermon than I'm about to preach? And would you apply your word to each and every person? God, we thank you for speaking, amen. Amen. All right, church, let's dive in. Let's dive in. Like I said, we're gonna divide it into two parts. So let's look at the first part first. Let me read the first section. I lift my eyes, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. That is God. Good news, let's pause there. Notice with me that this verse, this text is not, it's not an if you face trouble text. It is a when you face trouble text, where are you going to look? Where do we look for help? Where do we run? Verse one says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? See, our default condition as just broken people is to look around for help. To look around, to, to look around at the resources, to look around at people and things that are around us. We look around in times of trouble for ways to, let's be honest, to escape. We look around for those, those seemingly harmless distractions sometimes of uh, sports to vacations, uh, entertainment to hobbies, none of them are bad except when they become our escape, right? But we look around, and, or we, we look around and we seek out destructive things and destructive habits. We look around. This is kind of our default condition, our default condition. We look around for other people to help. We look around for things. We look around for resources. And I, and I don't want you to hear me wrong. There might be some really helpful things around you. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But it's, it's kind of like looking around, trying to find band-aids for bullet hole wounds, right? There's just something broken about it when we only look around. Notice our psalm says in verse 1, I lift up my eyes to the hills. In other words, we're not just called to look around. We are called to look up. Who can help me here? Who can help me now? Listen, as odd as this may sound, and you may be able to re- relate to this really well, it is an act of God's mercy and grace when he teaches us that the things we look around for don't offer us the help that we think they or we thought they would. There is a, that is an act of God's grace. And I, I want to put it like this. Have you ever been in a place in your life where God has shown you that all of the things that you had looked for for help and escape, that none of them offered what you thought they would offer? Have you ever been in a place, church, where, where you look around and you found that all of the, the, the places that you looked for help and respite have come up short? On the one hand, that is an absolutely terrifying place to be. For anyone who has been in that season, you know what I mean. And on the other hand, it is a wonderful season to be in because it is God's way of causing us to look up, to find not counterfeit help, but to find true help. I want us to listen to this. Verse 2, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. There is no greater appeal, no higher appeal than that. Look up to the creator of all things. Look up. Up, the maker of everyone and everything. I want to ask uh, what I think to be a kind of an obvious question. Have you ever been taken back and just stopped and just were amazed as you considered the beauty and wonder of God's creation? Has it ever happened to you? Have you ever just considered how crazy big the galaxy is? Those NASA photos are just. They blow your mind. Right? Have you ever just considered this, just the splendor of the things around us? Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon and have that, oh, moment? Have you ever just been on a really wonderful hike and just had to stop and go, wow? Have you ever been awestruck as you looked through a telescope? Let's go the other way. Have you ever been awestruck as you looked through a microscope? It's overwhelming. It's all inspiring It blows our mind, and our God did all of it. He did everything. And so the point here is the world looks around. And our psalm says, in Christ, we look around and we see nothing other than the things that our God created. So when we look around, it's nothing but to drive us to look up. We look around and it drives us to look up. So instead of looking around at created things for help, we in Christ look around at the created things only to be drawn up to the creator of all things. We look up. And I wanna just push on this for a little bit because don't hear me wrong. As Christians, the things around us might be really helpful. For example, God may use incredible people around you. God might use incredible things, incredible resources, programs to really help you and minister to you. But if that help ends right there, it is—it has missed it. It has missed it because the truth is, is that God may use people around you, things around you, resources around you, as his means to draw your eyes up. And in that way, look around so that we can look up. Just don't look around for the sake of looking around. Our psalm says, look up. Let looking around only serve as the reminder for us to look up. Romans 1, I love this, uh, 19 says it like this, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. See, Paul here is talking about those who are not followers of Jesus, and he's saying, hey, hey, look around. Creation points up to a creator so that all of us, no matter who we are, can look up. Paul is, is directly saying that. It's even clear to unbelievers is what Paul is saying. So I want to ask you, how much more clear should it be for us How much more is this true for us? The psalmist says, look around, look at all that God has created, and let that drive you to look up in times of greatest needs when we are desperately in need of help. I want to ask you, how does access to the creator of the universe through Jesus Christ change the way you look at your problems? The psalmist says, He's calling us to consider the fact that we look up to the creator of all things, the creator of everything through Jesus Christ. We have access to him, and that should change the way we look for for help. Our hope is not in the things, but in the creator of all things. Our hope is not ultimately in people, but in the creator of all people. And the psalmist says, look up to the creator, listen to this, he will not let your foot be moved, he who keeps you will not slumber, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Uh, What is the longest amount of time that you have gone without sleep? Don't say it out loud, but just think about it. Now, better question is, what do you think the world record is? for someone going without sleep. Well, I was curious this week, so I happen to know it. You ready? The world record for the longest amount of time that anyone has gone without sleep is held by a man named Randy Gardner. He achieved this feat in 1964 when he was in high school. That part's not surprising to me. Here's how long, so you don't even have to Google. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it away. Randy went an astonishing 264.4 hours without sleep. I'll save you the math, that's 11 days and 25 minutes. Whew. I really cannot fathom this. I mean, at 10 o'clock tonight, I'm gonna be out. I cannot wrap my mind around that. Now, we all know that sleep deprivation has some negative consequences, right? Well, um, in Randy's extreme case, here's what they reported you ready? through this experiment. Uh, quote, serious cognitive and behavioral changes. They reported that he was, quote, moody. <laughs> no brainer had problems with concentration and memory especially short term memory then quote he also suffered from paranoia and hallucinations it's 11 days in this report i'll continue um, on the 11th day so the home stretch here he was asked to subtract 7 repeatedly starting at 100 Oh, he stopped at 65, which is actually pretty impressive, I think. But when they asked him, why did you stop? He replied that he had forgotten what he was doing. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Let me say something obvious here. Our God is not like us. Our God is not like us and does not share our limitations. God is always perfectly attentive. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. And the point that the psalmist is making here is that our God will never be unavailable to our need or inattentive to our cry for help. He's not like us, and he's not going to suffer from uh, mental fatigue on day eleven. He's not going to forget what he was doing. He is perfectly able to hear. Perfectly able to respond. Always there and always able. Verse three says, He will not let your foot be moved. Other translations say say, He will not suffer thy foot to slip. I like that because, because a, a slip, no one expects a slip. A slip is what happens when you're walking and your foot suddenly gives way. That's a, that's a slip. So the psalmist says, God, your God is, is watching and is perfect and will not even let your foot slip. In other words, God is sovereign even over the things you don't expect. The unexpected things. That there is no unexpected thing that will take you down. In Christ, we don't have to fear what is known or what is unknown, what is seen and, or what is unseen, what is expected, what is unexpected, because he's always watching, never sleeping, and he is our help. I can't help but think of this in light of our spiritual condition the fact that we are all in constant danger of failing and falling. We're in constant peril. We're weak in and of ourselves. We echo what Paul says in Romans 7, where he says, I don't understand my own actions. Have you been there? I don't do what I want to do, but the very thing I hate, I do. Have you been there? Of course we have, because this is us. This is our condition. The crazy thing about our gospel is that we're not left there and praise God for that. The gospel reminds us that it is God and God alone, Christ and Christ alone, that we have hope as his people. The gospel reminds us that our God upholds the weakest and the most feeble among us. That is really good news. And in that, we echo Paul again in 1 Timothy 1.15 that says, This saying is trustworthy, true, deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Which of which I am the foremost, I am the chief of them, is what Paul says. His promises are full and unfailing. Our God is the creator. He is our help. He is aware. He is our help. So in light of that, what do we do? Where do we look in times of trouble? Where do we run? Now, I want to move forward because not only is this psalm a call to look up because he is our help, but more than that, he is our hope. I want us to read in verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. Our Christian hope is not only that we will find help in our time of need. Our Christian hope is that we will be kept. Verse 5 says, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The shade on your right hand we should be able to relate to very well in San Antonio. Um, It's like shading from the sun. I don't know about you guys, but I realized I was talking to Candace the other day that that my parking lot strategy has totally shifted in this season. Uh, No longer is is distance from the door even a variable. It's not even a factor, Uh, not at all. For me, it's where's the tree? It could be a mile away, but if it's a tree, I'm gonna park there because under that shade, it makes the world of a difference. I don't know if you've experimented with this, but it's like a 50-degree swing that you experience. It's, it's the difference of being a, a toasty 96 degrees and a scorching 146 degrees when you get back to your vehicle, right? God is like that. He's our protection from the hot scorching sun, our shade. And this reference to the right hand here just kind of furthers that image because at the right hand is this place of defense and protection. And and listen to this, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. What I love about verses six and seven is they are telling us loud and clear that we don't need to fear natural or moral evil. And what I mean by that is we see we don't need to fear natural disasters the sun, the moon, the heat, the cold. We don't need to fear the natural evil, right? We also don't need to fear the moral and human evil. As he says, he keeps me from all evil. That's the evil that others do to us living in this broken world. See, we don't need to fear creation. We don't need to fear man because our God is our help. He is our hope. He is our protection, our defense, and he keeps us, which makes this last verse just incredible. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I want to read this again. I want it to just sit on us. The Lord will keep your going out, your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. In Christ, because of Christ, through Christ, you are kept forever. Forevermore, you are kept from this moment right now to every single moment that you will face, you are kept. There is never a moment that you are not perfectly kept and held by your God who never sleeps. It's good news. Would you hold your place here? We're coming back, but I want to invite you to turn with me to Romans. Romans chapter 8. I love, love, turn with me, scroll with me here because I love this text. This psalm is this idea of God keeping us and and this idea of God keeping us is found all throughout scripture. But here in Romans 8, I don't know if it's found in such a more beautiful articulation. Uh, Church, I love this text. Let's start in verse 31. What What then... Shall we say to these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? Pause here. In other words, if God is our help, if God is our hope, if God is our keeper, is there or can there even be a substantial threat? If the Creator is for us, is there anything that we should fear? Paul, of course, asks this is a rhetorical question. The answer is a resounding no. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, church, do you need any proof that God loves you? Do you struggle to believe it? look no further, as Paul says, than to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because since your God did that to save you, since he did that to save you, will he not also keep you? In other words, Paul makes this wonderful argument, to believe in Christ as your savior is to believe in Jesus Christ as your keeper. To believe that God sent his son, didn't spare his own son, is to believe that God will complete his good work. And because of that, verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is It is God who justifies. That's the creator who justifies. Verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, Who indeed is interceding for us? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword? Notice Paul here is listing off both natural evils and moral evils. He's listing off the natural evils, such as famine, but he's also listing off the moral ones, such as the sword. He asks, are any of these things enough? Any of these things enough to separate us from our keeper? Well, Paul answers emphatically, 37, no. It's a great word, No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, and just in case he missed something, nor anything else in all of creation, the most all-encompassing statement that he could make saying nothing no one will be able to separate us from the love of god and jesus christ our lord amen how and why because our help comes from the lord the maker Of heaven and earth because our God doesn't sleep because our God doesn't slumber because our God is our keeper and no moral evil and no natural evil will take us will remove us from his grasp the Lord is our help the Lord is our keeper and this is true for all of God's people in Jesus Christ that is our hope as gospel believing followers of Jesus. And this is why it is essential for us. I'll, we say this a lot around here, um, but this is why it is essential for us to understand that we will never graduate from the gospel. The the gospel message is not just the entry into the family of God. It's our very hope and sustaining Grace from this time to forevermore. The gospel is essential for the Christian to daily live by and to apply. The gospel shows us, brothers and sisters, that you are kept by the Lord and that nothing and no one can pluck you from his hands. I think some of us just need to realize the truth of that statement. We sang a song this morning one of my favorites and what I just want to do is I want to read to you the lyrics one more time because they are huge, they are rich, they are beautiful and they say it so much better than I could I want you to listen to this when I fear my faith will fail, have you been there? Christ will hold me fast when the tempter would prevail again, have you been there? He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, He will hold me fast. Those He saves are His delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in His holy sight, He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me, so he will hold me fast. And listen to this last verse. For my life, he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied, he will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last, he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. Church, how incredible is it that we can sing that and mean that? It doesn't matter what you've come through the doors with. How incredible is it this morning that we can read that and mean that, sing that and mean that, because we know that we're kept by our God. He is holding us fast. He will hold us fast forever, because as Psalms says in verse 8, the Lord will keep your, coming, your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Like I said, it's weeks like this that just make me so excited that I get to be a gospel preacher. I want us to finish, though, with uh, noticing one more thing together, a really important thing together. and I invite you to turn back. I said we're coming back, right, to Psalm 121. And I want you to do something with me. I want you to take a moment and I want you to scan back through these eight verses. And I want you to notice who does what. First, let's just notice what the Lord does. Well, verse 2 The Lord made the heavens and the earth. The Lord doesn't let your foot be moved, verse 3. The Lord doesn't sleep or slumber, verse, verses 3 and 4. The Lord is the keeper, verse 5. The Lord is your shade, verse 5. The Lord keeps you from evil, verse 7. The Lord keeps your life, verse 7. And the Lord will keep you from now to forevermore, verse 8. That's what the Lord does. Praise God that that's what the Lord does. It's amazing. This is our God. This is our Lord. Now, um, scan back again, and let's look at what you and I do. I find one thing. I look back over this psalm and I find one action that we are to take. I find one command, one very simple thing, and it's found in verse one. I look up, I lift up my eyes. That's it. So if you think about this, the Lord made the heavens and earth, so look up. The Lord doesn't let your feet be moved, your foot slips, so look up. The Lord doesn't slumber or sleep even when you do, so look up. The Lord is the keeper, so look up. The Lord is your shade, so look up. The Lord keeps you from evil, so don't fear. Look up. The Lord keeps your lives, so have hope and look up. The Lord will keep you from now to forever, so look up. The call is to look up. That's it. He is our hope. He is our help. He will keep us forever. Look up. I want to invite you, church, to stand with me as we close in prayer. Would you pray with me? God, would you, through your Spirit, would you help us to look up? Would you lift up our eyes? For all of us here who are weighed down, for all of us here who are going through a trial, who are right in the middle of a trial, you are our help. Would you help us to look up? For all of us here who are struggling spiritually, wrestling in the faith, would you help us look up and know that you are our help? For all of us here who are followers of Christ this morning, would you increase our faith? Would you increase the joy that comes from knowing that we are kept forever, held fast forever in Christ Jesus? You are our hope. You are our help. You are our keeper, and you will hold us fast. So, God, we look up. Would you help us? And church, as we continue in prayer this morning, as your your heads are bowed, eyes are closed for any person here who's not yet a follower of Jesus. The good news that we have talked about this morning, the good news of a helper, the good news of a hope, the good news of Jesus Christ, this good news is offered to you freely this morning through Jesus Christ. If you are here and you're ready to look up, To respond to the gospel for the first time. To look up for the first time. God is here and is offering you himself. The forgiveness of your sins and eternal life with him. This morning the invitation is to look up. I want to invite you to join us in prayer. Lord, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for demonstrating your great love to us through Jesus. While we were lost in our sin, dead in our sin, you called us to yourself and you sent Jesus to do the work. Lord, would you forgive me of my sins through Jesus? Would you guide me? Would you direct me in your truth? would you take my life and transform me by your spirit through your grace because you are my help. You are my hope. I look to you this morning. I look up to you this morning. Amen.